Welcome to May, or as we call it here on Royals, Rebels, and Romantics, Anne Boleyn Month. I'm thrilled to have so many of my favorite historians joining me to talk about Anne Boleyn. Love her or hate her, it seems like we can't stop talking about her. And that's certainly true this month. You know, this month I've been thinking a lot about Anne Boleyn, as usual, because, well, who doesn't? And I've been thinking about how we might be able to learn a little bit more about Anne Boleyn when we think about comparing her to Elizabeth Woodville. So that's what I'd like to do today. Here's what we know about Elizabeth Woodville. First of all, she was a widow of a Lancastrian soldier. So her family fought for the, quote, other side in terms of the reign of the man who would become her husband, Edward IV. She was the daughter of a knight, which means she didn't bring a big dowry to the marriage. In fact, her husband's lands had been seized because for fighting against Edward IV, he was deemed a traitor. And she already had children. She wasn't a virginal young bride. And she was five years older than Edward IV. Now, none of these things would be considered deal breakers today by any means. But back in the 15th century, they did raise a lot of eyebrows. And Elizabeth Woodville was not considered a likely candidate to be the new queen consort. There are a variety of stories of how these two people met. Edward IV, the new King of England, having defeated the forces of Henry VI during part of the Wars of the Roses, and Elizabeth Woodville, widow and mother. It's possible they knew each other as children, and in fact, Elizabeth's parents may have served Edward's parents, when Edward's parents, uh, Richard the Duke of York and Cecily, were stationed in Rouen. After Towton, of course, the Woodvilles were considered on the wrong side of the war. But in 1461, Edward stayed with the Woodvilles and he granted a pardon to Richard Woodville, who was the father of of Elizabeth Woodville. So the family seems to have been going through some sort of uh, reconciliation with the king during this time. There's a story of Richard and Elizabeth meeting in early 1464. It's possible that she was at court, that she had come to court during that period of time. There's also this fabulous legend that because her husband, her late husband's lands had been seized and she wanted to get some help, she'd appealed to Lord Hastings and she needed more help, that she stationed herself beneath an oak tree. She knew herself to be a very beautiful woman and she knew that the king would be riding by that oak tree soon and so she stationed herself in the path of King Edward IV. We don't know if that's true or if they simply met at court, but most of the stories, whatever they are about their meeting, agree that Edward, who was already a known womanizer and in fact would be the rest of his life, probably propositioned Elizabeth and invited her to be his mistress. 
and she said no. There are reported discussions where she said, although she may not be worthy to be the queen, she certainly was not going to be his mistress, planting perhaps that seed. And of course, her detractors believe that her mother, Jaquetta, was in fact a witch who bewitched the king, put a spell on him, and that's why they married. In any case, Elizabeth and Edward were secretly married sometime before September 1464. We don't know the date. We don't know the details. And of course, these are big debates among historians. It's possible Edward IV kept the marriage a secret because he was really just trying to sleep with her and he thought if everything was a secret, he could get out of the relationship. That's possible, but we don't see him ever making any attempt to get out of the relationship. It's also possible that he knew in his court, all of his ministers and his mother were working toward a foreign marriage. That's what English kings did. They married foreign princesses, and those princesses brought with them money, and those princesses brought with them the support of a foreign country and sort of the seal of approval in a European court. And so the princesses that were being considered as Edward's bride were going to bring a lot to England. And on the other hand, Elizabeth Woodville brought with her no money, no foreign support. In fact, she brought children that needed to be taken care of and family members who wanted and needed places at court, financial support, and advantageous marriages. And a lot of criticism is heaped upon Elizabeth Woodville because she was ambitious for her family members. But hey, when Edward IV became king and he was so ambitious for advantageous positions and placements for his family members, no one really seemed to raise it much of an eyebrow at that. But if a woman's ambitious for her family, that tends to receive a lot more criticism. That's just something we ought to kind of keep in the back of our minds. It's possible that by marrying an English woman instead of a French princess, Edward was also able to navigate the nobility in England on his own rather than relying so heavily, which he had done in the early years of his reign, on his cousin and his kingmaker, the Earl of Warwick. So Warwick had really been calling a lot of the shots during Edward's reign and making a lot of the decisions and the alliances. And it may have been that Edward was ready to step out on his own. So he defied Warwick by marrying this English woman. And then he used her family members to set up marriage relationships among the nobility to navigate those connections himself. Her family, Elizabeth Woodville's family, was not very popular, especially among the established nobility, because her family members got positions and got marriages that they wanted for themselves. But Edward supported her. He was on her side, and he supported her family. Now, throughout their 19-year marriage, Edward had a number of affairs. They were pretty public. The most sort of notorious was with Jane Shore, but at no point did he attempt to replace Elizabeth Woodville with one of his mistresses. He may not have been loyal to her, wasn't expected necessarily at the time, but he never 
um, jeopardized or considered replacing her as his queen. And even when resentment was building up against her family, he continued to very much favor her family and continued to give them prime positions. And over time, it turned out that Elizabeth, who had several children, which was, of course, the main job of a queen consort, she always was a very gracious hostess when foreign dignitaries would come. She put on a good show and she really became over time, more and more respected in her behavior as queen consort. But when Edward IV unexpectedly died in 1483, everything changed because that was when, instead of her son, Edward V, who was proclaimed king, instead of him being crowned king and actually becoming king, Richard III took the throne. And the behavior of Elizabeth Woodville becomes controversial all over again. Richard blamed her. He accused her of being bloodthirsty and coming after him. And he used that as an excuse to move against her family members. She, after her family members started being arrested, went into sanctuary and refused to come out. Even after things were over and Richard had been crowned and he was clearly going to be the king, Elizabeth Woodville remained in sanctuary for months, which was a very clear um, rejection of Richard III. She was behaving as if she did not consider herself and her children to be safe in the reign of Richard III. And there are a lot of questions about why she would have released her son, also named Richard. The two names that are really possible at this time are Edward and Richard. But her son, Richard, once Richard III, before he became king, had put Edward V into the tower, you know, to prepare for his coronation. Then the Archbishop of Canterbury came to Elizabeth Woodville while she was in sanctuary and asked that her son, Richard, who was with her in sanctuary, be released to join his brother in the tower. And people say, oh, what a cold-hearted woman that she would send her other son off. But it could be true that she really didn't have much choice. Yes, she was in sanctuary, but she was also aware that her sanctuary, Westminster, was surrounded by soldiers. She knew that sanctuary was not guaranteed. It was not a sure thing. In fact, her husband, Edward IV, had broken sanctuary when he considered it necessary. So she may have considered that Richard could break sanctuary to get at her son and the safest way for her son to be united with his brother and supposedly prepare for the coronation was to give him to this church leader to take care of him. Well, as we know, the two boys went to the tower. We're not sure what happened, but before you know it, Richard is King Richard III. Now, at this point, Elizabeth's still in sanctuary, and she seems to have entered into some sort of conspiracy while in sanctuary with Margaret Beaufort, the mother of Henry Tudor. Now, it's not clear that the plan back in 1483, very soon after Richard III's coronation, was focused on putting Henry Tudor on the throne. Some people think that there was still a plan to get Edward V out of the tower and put him on the throne. We're not sure exactly what the end game was. But because she was known to have played some part in that rebellion, 
um, Richard III found out, he put down the rebellion, and Elizabeth Woodville was stripped of all of her status, was stripped of her income, and was referred to as, quote, Dame Elizabeth Grey, late calling herself Queen of England. Because, of course, Richard III had had the marriage between Edward IV and Elizabeth Woodville annulled, and it was no longer considered a marriage. She was not Queen Dowager. She had never been queen. She's just plain old Elizabeth Grey. In 1484, the next year, she does come out of sanctuary. And there's some question about that, too. Why does she allow her daughters to be part of Richard's court? Does that prove she knew her sons were alive and she trusted Richard to take care of her daughters as well? Or does that prove she was so without feeling that she believed Richard III had killed her sons and just willy-nilly sent her daughters out to save herself? Or does that prove that she knew her sons were dead and she was pragmatic enough to know that the best way to secure the safety of her daughters, because she couldn't stay in sanctuary forever, was to make peace with Richard III and get his public declaration that he would protect her daughters. And that's what happened. Again, a lot of controversy. People read her behavior in all kinds of different ways. Well, As you know, eventually Henry Tudor does come back from France and Brittany and defeats Richard III, and suddenly Elizabeth Woodville is restored to her position as Queen Dowager, and her daughter, Elizabeth of York, marries Henry Tudor and becomes the Queen Consort of England. And so Elizabeth's position is returned, her income is returned, her status is returned, However, there are still some controversies surrounding her during the reign of Henry VII, and it's particularly around the time when Lambert Simnel stages his rebellion and makes his claim for the English throne. And there is some possibility, there is some speculation that Elizabeth Woodville may have been supporting him. We don't know that. There was no official accusation But around that same time, she decided, and it may have been her decision, to just retire from court and move to Bermondsey Abbey, and her lands and her income went to her daughter, Elizabeth of York, instead. Now, she also may have been just a little fed up sharing that notion of being the mother of the queen with the mother of the king, who was Margaret Beaufort quite a force to be reckoned with. And so Elizabeth Woodville may have preferred a quieter life. We don't know, but she did leave court around 1487, just a couple of years after Henry VII and her daughter, Elizabeth of York, our king and queen. There are a few references to her appearing at court, but not many. And she died in 1492, around age 55. So that's an interesting example of an English queen consort. For a long time, there were foreign princesses. And we really see this shift with Edward IV and Elizabeth Woodville to English queen consorts. It doesn't last forever, but for a period of time, we see a lot of English queen consorts. And although Henry VII married Elizabeth of York for political reasons, that marriage became personal. And that was another shift in Edward IV and Elizabeth Woodville. This shift, that marriage became something that was supposed to be personally satisfying, 
personally based on love or at least lust for an individual. It wasn't just an arranged marriage. Now, Henry VII and Elizabeth of York, that was an arranged marriage, but they developed a very personal relationship. And then we come to Henry VIII. And Henry VIII, who's often compared to his grandfather, Edward IV, Henry VIII definitely believed that he should be able to marry for love and that marriage should make him happy. And he spent much of his life searching for the perfect wife, which of course involved giving him a son. So um, like Elizabeth Woodville, when Anne Boleyn comes along, she is not an ideal choice for a consort. Well, For one thing, she's not an ideal choice because the king happened to still be married. And that's one of the reasons she was controversial. But there were other reasons, too. Even though she was an English woman, you know, Henry VIII's first wife was a princess of Spain. So they're not really sure yet they want an all-English woman as consort kind of thing. But she was also quite Frenchified. So she had the disadvantages of looking French and acting French and speaking French with none of the advantages of actually being a French princess who could bring a lot of money and the power of France with her. We see Anne Boleyn in the English court in 1522, where she participates in the Chateau Vert pageant. Um, There are records of that in Hollandshed, and she's participating in this pageant. She's singing and she's dancing, and she is performing all of the talents that she has learned in her youth growing up in a couple of the most glamorous, sparkling courts of Europe, the court of Margaret of Austria and Burgundy and the court of Francis I in France, where Anne Boleyn served Queen Claude. Now, when she comes to England, she doesn't immediately capture Henry VIII's heart. He's actually involved, we believe, with her sister, Mary Boleyn, at that time. But eventually, something about Anne Boleyn, and it probably was not her looks. Even her friends don't describe her looks in glowing terms. Um, The most compliments she gets are for her eyes, which are described as black and beautiful. But she is also described as having sort of darker skin and darker hair, not being the typical English blonde rose that we think of. And being um, her bosom is described as not much raised, which seems to be a problem. But she had something. She had a ready wit and a talent in singing and dancing and just an overall presence that really captured the heart of Henry VIII. And he seems to have fallen head over heels in love with Anne Boleyn. He starts behaving like a schoolboy and he writes these letters to her where he's not only filling the letters with this flowery language and he's writing them in his own hand. And he's pretty upfront about how much he hates to write letters himself. But he's writing them in his own hand and he's drawing little hearts around her initials and he's putting her initials and his initials together and drawing little hearts around them and acting less like a king of England and more like sort of a a love-struck schoolboy as he is pursuing Anne Boleyn. Now, we know that Edward IV moved very quickly to make Elizabeth Woodville his wife, but Henry VIII did not have that ability with Anne Boleyn. 
once he was able to convince Anne Boleyn to marry him, and we don't know um, how long that took. We know their relationship based on the letters he wrote, which we have 17 of. We know it seems to have started as a courtly love. And then there are some pretty direct requests from Henry that Anne give herself to him. He specifically says body and soul, and that doesn't go over and get a yes. And eventually, they agree to marry. And so we see Henry spending all these years trying to get the marriage done. He he tried to win over the Pope. He tried to negotiate with the Pope. He tried to convince Catherine of Aragon to go along with it and to agree because they didn't have a son. He needed a son and Catherine hadn't given him a son and she was not able to have children anymore and he needed a son and he really thought he could convince her to just kind of go along with things, which says to me he wasn't paying much attention to her during their marriage because there was no way Catherine of Aragon would have agreed to that. But eventually, as we get into 1532, and remember this started in about 1526, so it has gone on for many years. Around 1532 in September, Anne Boleyn is created Marquess of Pembroke, um, a whole new um, noble status, all of her own in her own right, not as a result of a marriage. And Henry VIII takes her to visit Francis I, almost as if she is queen consort. And somewhere around that time, it appears they start sleeping together and then she becomes pregnant, just like Edward IV and Elizabeth Woodville, Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn have a secret marriage. We think it probably happened in January of 1533, but it is not public. It's alluded to. There are a lot of rumors. And around Easter, we see Anne being prayed for as queen. And so their relationship begins to come out. Then Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, officially declares the marriage of Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon to be invalid, the marriage of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn to be good to go. And Anne Boleyn is crowned on the 1st of June, 1533. And she's visibly pregnant with what is sure to be the son Henry has been waiting for all these years, right? Because he has fix the problem he had. You know, God was not happy he had broken that law by marrying Catherine of Aragon, and now God would look on his marriage with favor, and Anne Boleyn would have a son. And of course, on the 7th of September, 1533, a baby was born who would become the longest reigning and possibly most successful of all the Tudor monarchs. This baby would grow up to stand up to the kings of France and Spain. This baby would grow up to foster the arts and especially the theater. This baby would grow up to see the emergence of England as a world power and oversee the establishment of the Church of England as the lasting religion of the country. And she would be a woman because it was the birth of Elizabeth in September of 1533. And here's where Anne Boleyn's story really becomes different from Elizabeth Woodville's. Now, it's true Elizabeth Woodville had daughters first, but Elizabeth Woodville went on to have sons, and Anne Boleyn did not. Honestly, Henry 
only gave Anne a very short time. The length of the marriage between Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn was a little less than half the length of that lengthy courtship. He really didn't give her much time at all. Um, They are described, Henry and Anne, as being, quote, married together during 1534 and 35. There are at least a couple more pregnancies, but Anne does not give birth to a healthy baby boy. And eventually, her path changes dramatically from that of Elizabeth Woodville. Anne Boleyn does not outlive her husband. She does not live to see her daughter become queen. Elizabeth Woodville lived to see her daughter become queen consort. Um, Anne Boleyn was able to celebrate her coronation two years in 1534 and 1535. But by the three-year anniversary of her coronation in the on the 1st of June, 1536, Anne Boleyn had been arrested, tried, found guilty, and executed. All of that happened during the month of May between the 1st and the 19th. And by the 1st of June, 1536, the third anniversary of Anne's coronation, Henry VIII was married to Jane Seymour, and he'd already moved on to his third wife. So, Elizabeth Woodville and Anne Boleyn did share some experiences. They attracted the attention and married larger-than-life kings. Both he- both Edward IV and Henry VIII were physically large with these giant personalities, and they both, Elizabeth Woodville and Boleyn, did not agree to become that king's mistress. And the kings, Edward IV, Henry VIII, chose these two women, despite all the reasons they were not typical consorts, and despite these women turning down the offer to be the king's mistress. They became queen consorts. They were controversial. They had secret marriages. They were both accused of being that terrible thing, ambitious for a woman. And they both had daughters named Elizabeth, who bookended the Tudor dynasty. So I think it's fun to think about Elizabeth Woodville and Anne Boleyn and just see what looking at both of these women in different ways through the lens of the other might help us learn or wonder or ask a few new questions about these fascinating women. I am so appreciative of your joining me for this, and I can't wait to explore more about Anne Boleyn with some of my favorite historians during the next month. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for joining me for this episode of May's Focus on Anne Boleyn. I'm so glad you were here. If you are enjoying the podcast, may I ask a favor? Would you mind please subscribing, sharing with a friend, leaving a rating, and even considering becoming a patron. I so appreciate your support. And let's keep shaking up history together.